With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Raptors. We're launching a podcast. This is good news. I would like to be a part of that. I could make it up, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. That's right on. Just keep going. I believe green. Should probably have somebody look at that. <laughs> yeah! What time is right to start around here? Let's go. When's the next day? <laughs> there we go. We're, re- we're ready to rock right out of the gate. Put me in, coach. I am ready to play. Go, Celtics, go. What a team, what a franchise, what a history, what a present, what a future. I am the luckiest guy on earth. The Celtics, they did not give me my career back. They gave me my life back. And here I am to try to help pay it back. But there is no way that I can ever do that. And look who just joined us here. The man, the myth, the legend himself. Oh, I'm so jealous about that beard. <laughs> I have one of the worst beards in the history of the known world. And there is Kendrick himself, the champion, the leader, the foundation, the pillar with this magnificent beard just standing there so proud there. What a career you've built for yourself, Kendrick. You opened up with your excitement about the Celtics. And in my time here and being around this organization, every time I hear you talk about the Celtics, you get this glow in your eye. But it's interesting to me because you only played 90 games for this team. Obviously, you won a championship, but what is it that has given you such a close tie to this organization and make you love the green that you're wearing right now, by the way? You're wearing a Celtics sweatshirt right now. What what makes you love this organization so much? Jeff Twist and Nike. They take <laughs> a shout-out to Twist. Twist, he's the best. So I grew up a Celtic fan. And Bill Russell was my favorite player ever. I live in my hometown of San Diego. I live a mile from the hospital that I was born in. We've been in our house for 42 years. This is my dream. And my mom, who's still alive at 94 years young, she lives Amazing. in the same family home that we all grew up in. She's been there for 69 years. Wow. In that home. But my parents, zero interest in sports. They always ask me, Billy, are you ever going to get a job? And so here it was, this situation where... I found sports following my older brother, who went to a ton of Celtic games. I found sports through this remarkable coach that I had, who was like 
John Wooden, who was like Jack Ramsey, who was like Red Auerbach. He was just this incredible force of nature, much like Big Perk. And this guy, Rocky, was a Big Perk in my life because he was the volunteer coach at the elementary school that I went to for 59 years. Never took a dime for 59 years. He was the local fireman. And he had children going to the same school. We were all the same age. And so he just saw a need and said, I'm going to take care of this. Like Red, like John Wooden, like Jack Ramsey, like all great leaders. And like Rick and Steve did when Obama challenged the city of Boston to put that statue up for Bill Russell. They said, we're going to take care of this. And that's what Rocky did. And he taught me the joy of sport and love and, and, and hope and optimism and all the things that go into wanting to create this dream of, yeah, that's what I want to do with my life. And then I met Rocky when I was eight years old. And and then two years later, within two years, Chick Hearn took the Laker broadcast job. And we had our house, we did not have a television set. And basketball was not on TV at the time, but it was on the radio. So Chick, I found Chick Hearn, my parents, zero interest in sports. I mean, I, I never shot a basket with my dad, saw him run one time at the church picnic and fell over laughing. My, mom, my mom's a town's librarian, and they just, they don't like sports. They don't know anything about sports. They don't follow sports, but they're the greatest parents ever. And so with these incredible parents who were encouraging and nurturing and so positive, and then Rocky and Chick Hearn, and then every coach and teacher that I had as a child in these fabulous schools of Southern California, they were all John Wooden disciples. And so this was this wonderful culture. Now, I'm not like Big Perk. I did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. <laughs> but here it was a situation where I had the dream. And in the early days, that dream from Rocky, from my parents, from Chick, and ultimately John Wooden was hope, opportunity, and purpose. And over the time, that the way that Chick used to talk about the Celtics, Chick was the Laker broadcaster. Mm-hmm. So he was doing his job with them. But the way he talked about the Celtics and the way I read about the Celtics and the, and the fast break and the team game and then Bill Russell, just this incredible. He, Bill Russell is my favorite basketball player ever on and off the court. Why is and that? The way he played and the way he conducted himself. As a player, he played to win. Mm-hmm. He played to make the other players the star. He did whatever it took to win the games. But he was the exact identical player to Steve Nash, except... They didn't look the same, mm-hmm. and they didn't have the same body type. And, you know, Bill was big, long, and lean, and rangy, and powerful. And Steve was looking a lot like Sean there. You know, just this, <laughs> you know, Steve's about my wife's That's a size. compliment, Sean. And, and, and so. <laughs> you're a sharp-looking guy. Well, you, well, you're sitting down, Sean. And so, but Steve, like Bill Russell, is, is a true giant. And the way he played, he played with his mind and his heart and his spirit and his soul. And that's what Bill Russell did. But you can never discount the advantages that Bill Russell had with his coach, Red Auerbach. There has never been greatness without a great coach. And Red was just phenomenal. And so here was little Billy growing up in San Diego and just dreaming about this fantastic team. And then my mom brought home Bill Russell's first book, Go Up for Glory, and from the library. And I never turned the back, I never turned the book back in. And I kept it and she kept bugging me, Billy, we're running up these incredible fines. We don't have any money, man. You wanna eat or you wanna read this book for the 15th time. So I never turned the book back in. I still have it to this day. When I first signed my, uh, my initial 
NBA contract, the first check that I wrote was to the San Diego Public Library System to replace that book that I never. It, that's a true story. Well, why would I say it? That, if that's it unbelievable. <laughs> That's redundant, Mark. What kind of story? What, what kind of moral character do you have? <laughs> but to be on the Celtics was one of those special, special moments because I loved all the teams and I, I loved the culture and what Red had established. I read all the books and I watched all the shows and I, and I got to know Red as a college player and as an early professional when I was playing with the Blazers and I was on Red on round ball all the time and Red was always trying to get me to go on these international tours, but I was either hurt or they had a revolution in Iran. We were going to Iran. We were all scheduled to go over there and put on a big uh, basketball symposium. And uh, But then it Red called them and said, hey, man, they just had a revolution. They just uh, threw the Shah at jail or out of town. Probably not a good idea. Right, so we, we're not going to go over there. And then, the, yeah, the Russell teams and, and all, all the people who I had met through Willie Knowles and idolized through being a fan. And then to see the transition and the early 70s team with uh, Cowens and Havlicek and Nelson and Silas and Jojo White and Don Chaney, who was just a, just a, you know, a, a real pillar in basketball because of you know, his start with Elvin Hayes at the University of Houston and the battles that Houston and UCLA used to have in the NCAA tournaments in, in the 1960s. And then that early 70s Celtic team also had either Paul Westfall or Charlie Scott on it. And they had Tommy Heinsohn, who was the coach. And it was just, and then I started to meet guys like Bob Ryan. And everyone I met, it was just like perfect. And then I I was at a crossroads in life in the 80s. And I was talking to my great friend, uh, David Halberstam, who I had met through the the breaks of the game. And I, I was a huge fan of his, but then I met him through Jack Ramsey and the books that he was writing. And David Halberstam said, hey, man, you should go play on the Celtics. I said that Southern California he said it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and so I did, and I came with high expectations. I had no idea how great it would be because the basketball was better than perfect. The culture, the life, everything in Boston was just over the top spectacular, empty the thesaurus. I just wish it could have lasted forever. And if I ever get close to answering your question as to why I'm a Celtic fan, <laughs> you, should, uh, you should say, okay, that's enough on that, Bill. We want to ask you another question. But if you don't, I can just keep going. Let me try this one then, Bill. Okay. When in, in, in 1985, you've had the injuries. It hasn't gone well with the Clippers in San Diego. It looked like you were going to get a chance to play your home team. When in 1985, when that summer, because remember, we've told the story from Cedric Maxwell's perspective and how he had fallen out of favor during that season and that Red was looking to move on from him. When was the first time the idea of this dream of yours of becoming a Celtic, when is this on your radar in that summer of 1985? In the summer, in the summer of 85. I, I, you know, I made the decision that I, and I, I was slow to this decision. I'm a very stubborn guy. I'm a very proud guy too. And John, and John Wooden, he always used to, you know, John Wooden had a mantra for everything. And the mantra for me with my stubbornness was, stubbornness we deprecate, firmness we condone. The former is my neighbor's trait. The latter is my own. And so when I finally came to the ultimate decision that I could no longer be in the world of Donald Sterling, I, I, I had to move on. And it was, uh, I should have done it a lot earlier. But it's What was really the process e- of making it happen, Bill? I had to give Donald Sterling every dime I had. 
to get out to get out and and, and he kept holding it up and I, I, you know i had called red and and asked him for a chance to be on the celtics and he asked larry who was sitting in the room at the time i got red on the phone and larry said go get him and red said okay let's do it and then and then red just said to me keep your mouth shut and let me take care of it and you know red, red was red was like david stern red loved to negotiate the last thing i want to do with my life is sit inside a building and argue about money all day long i want to play i want to go i want to work to make things better in life and and so I, i've been very fortunate that I've been able to make enough money to survive. And I am alive right now. And I have the dream life that I want. My challenge will be to sustain that life. And, but you know, I, I'm not in charge. I'm, a, I'm an employee, I'm an independent contractor. I'm, I'm a working man and I like being a working man. And I, and I wanted to say this to you, uh, uh, Bill, legend. I'm a big fan, been a big fan of yours. You're not old enough to know who I am. I am. Man. I'm old enough. I have an old soul. Okay, I have an old soul. <laughs> right. I look. I look. I'm 36, but I have an old soul. I was raised by my grandparents, so I know a lot about the history of the game. And I think when I look at you, and I think you brought a different flavor to broadcast. I remember one time I was watching a game in high school, and you was broadcasting the NBA game, and you said something so funny it stuck with me to this day. Somebody took a horrible shot, and it was just the simplest thing, but you was like, that was the worst shot in NBA history. I mean, it was horrible. And it wasn't that bad, but the fact that you said it, it was just like, that's how it need to be, like, straightforward. And I think, like, you set the bar for guys to be comfortable with who they are for us being able to go out there and say what they want to say, because that's what the people want the authenticity, right? And I know at times I stutter. I'm a country boy from Beaumont, Texas, but I'm not changing. I'm not a guy that's going to look in the encyclopedia. I'm not a guy that's going to look in the dictionary. No, we're talking basketball, okay? We're talking barbershop basketball. You know what the hell I'm trying to say. I do know. I've been to Beaumont. It's the, it's the garden spot of southeastern Texas. It is. And it's absolutely beautiful. And one of the guys... One of the guys in the Conference of Champions who I broadcast for now in the Pac-12 from Boulder, he is from Beaumont as well, mm. Eli Parquet. And then Mel, Mel Farr is from Beaumont, Texas. And Frank Robinson, I believe, is from Beaumont. Beaumont. He is. And all, all these incredible stars. So don't be bad-mouthing Beaumont, Texas, man. But I have two questions. I have two important questions. One, like, I'm a huge fan of your son, Luke Walton, right? Like, NBA champion, role player. Two times. Yeah, two-time champion. I know that, right? I mean, one time they beat us, so I'm familiar with it. Okay? <laughs> two-time NBA champion. You beat them once, though, too. But, you know, I have a different I have a different love for role, for role players, right? Because right. the average NBA career is three and a half, four years, and Luke surpassed that. And, right, yeah. NBA champion. Now as a head coach, as a father, as a father, I just want to know how that makes you feel watching, watching, watching your son play the game of basketball and now watching him be a head coach in the NBA and, you know, doing a pretty good job at it. Like, as a father, how does that make you feel? And do y'all talk on the regular? What kind of advice you give them? I know you probably call them a lot and give them an earful, right? Perk, big perk. There's nothing like the pride of a dad. How many children do you have? I have four. 
How many grandchildren? None, none, none. I'm not that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's 36. He's got a couple years until he gets I, there. I, I, you're 36 years old? Oh, my gosh. I'm just... I'm 32 years older than you are. I'm 68, <laughs> just getting started out here. But Luke is one of our six children and 14 grandchildren. Mm. Uh, my oldest brother passed away recently in 2019. And so we adopted his two adult children and their five children. So now that puts our total at six children and 14 grandchildren that we're responsible for. And the pride of a dad and to see what uh, all of our children have been able to do. And, you know, Luke is in the public eye. There's nothing like the NBA. The, the platform that the NBA gives to so many different people and the, and the, the value and the, and the ability to enable and to empower people to become who we're capable of and then to see your child do that. And I am just thrilled as can be, but I'm well aware that the Kings have lost their last three games. And... <laughs> In the NBA, you're only as good as last night's game, and that only lasts until the dawn, and then you're only as good as your next game. Yeah, but they're moving in the right direction, though, right? Like, for the first time in about 12 years, we could say that the the Sacramento Kings, are, are they have bright spots, and they're moving in the right direction. So I give them the benefit of the doubt. You're very kind, and you have a lot more patience than I have. <laughs> I just tell Luke every day that I love him. Because our jobs as broadcasters, Luke's jobs, Brad Stevens' jobs, they must be the easiest jobs in the world because everybody keeps telling us how to do our jobs. And so here's the situation where Luke's his responsibility as the coach. And, you know, Sacramento is a phenomenal town. But in the NBA, you have to win. And the job of the coach is to make the players better at what they do and who they are. And so the, the great good fortune and privilege that Luke had as a child to grow up in, in the NBA atmosphere and culture and world, he was very young. He was probably four, five, six, uh, maybe seven when, uh, when we were on Boston and Larry was his favorite player. And Larry's everybody's favorite player. Anybody who ever, anybody who ever saw Larry Bird play basketball, he's their favorite player uh, because he was just so remarkable. And, and Larry could not have been nicer to all of our four children and always inclusive to them. And, and you know, Larry would take our children with him. He and Dinah, they didn't have children at the time. And so th they would take our children to the All-Star game with them every year and buy them a suite and pay for everything. Just say, order whatever you want. And, uh, and Larry would take care of everything, and they would just have the time of their life. That's awesome. And, and then Luke, uh, growing up, he, Greg Lee, who was the star of our UCLA team, Greg Lee became a coach uh, and mentor and math teacher here in the San Diego Public Schools after his career was over as a professional in Europe. And then he, he was instrumental in Luke's, in all of our children's uh, development and love for sports. And then Luke had a great high school coach named uh, Jim Tomey, and they were state champions, and he played with his brothers, and it was just a phenomenal team, and tons of the guys went on to huge success in athletics, academics, and in business as well. And then he got to go play for Lute Olson, and Lute Olson was the 21st century version of John Wooden, uh, and just with a style and a culture and identity like the Celtics, like the Bruins, 
like any great franchise and with the great coach. And then, and then he got to play for Phil Jackson and Rudy Tomjanovich for, for nine, 10 years. That's some and, great luck. You know, and so you, you're going to learn a lot. And, uh, but you know, in, you know, in the NBA, you know, you got to win. That's what it's about. And, uh, I, I, I do text him. Uh, <laughs> I do text him more than regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question. One more sure, question. Sure, you ask whatever you want. So I, I just want to know, how do you feel about the new players right now, the new age oh, NBA, oh, the generation oh, oh. now? It's fantastic. It is. It, it, these guys are remarkable. The, the, the physical development, everything is better. Everything. You know, the skill, the talent, the size, the strength, the speed, the, the business aspects of it, the financial aspects of it, the medical aspects, the training, the equipment, the buildings, the charter planes. I mean, it, <laughs> when, when you look at it from my perspective, it's the dream come true. This is what we wanted. This is what we thought. This is what we visualized. And helped to make happen. Like this wouldn't have happened without you. Yeah, guys. absolutely. When we were doing it, it was perfect then too. Right. You know, the, you know, basketball, NBA basketball in the seventies was phenomenal. You had the Knicks with great players and great teams. You had the Lakers, uh, Jerry and Elgin and Wilt. And on, on, on the Knicks, you had Willis and Walt and Earl and Dick, and Bill and Dave. Red Holtzman, just fantastic. You had the Celtics. We already went through their whole team and roster. And then you had the Baltimore Bullets, which were great, with uh, Wes Unseld and uh, Jack Marin and Gus Johnson. And oh, my goodness. And, th and then you had Milwaukee with Kareem and Oscar and Lucius and Bobby Dandridge. And, and, and you had just these phenomenal teams that every year it was just great. Phoenix had a great run. They didn't win the title but they made it to the finals once against Boston in 1976. Golden State Warriors, one of the great teams ever with Rick Barry and Jamal Wilkes and Phil Smith and Al Adels, just absolutely spectacular. The expansions were coming in, in, in Portland. The Blazers won a championship. Seattle won a championship in the 70s. And then you had the Washington Bullets at the end with when they got Elvin Hayes. And, you know, Elvin Hayes was just an absolutely spectacular player and the things that he did. And, and he was just the first of this endless line of guys who came to Little Billy when I first, when I first arrived in their orbit. And he could not have been more accommodating. He could not have been more supportive and nurturing. And to see how that is all now paved forward and you've got all, you know, all these guys just doing spectacular things and the way that the three-point shot has changed everything, the way that the, the remarkable mobility and, and, and the athleticism of the players and the coaching. It used to be that the, you know, the, and the ownership level has gone through the roof. And, and all of that uh, is a result of David Stern. And David Stern is the most important person in the history of basketball. And he's probably Sean's size or Laurie's size and never shot a basket. Or Mark's size. Uh, I don't know, Mark, you look bigger. You're sitting up <laughs> in your chair. Sitting up tall. And, and so, but David Stern, he, he made a game into a business. And David, he loved the business aspects of it. And he also saw the opportunities to use the NBA as a vehicle to move the world to a better place.
and and the way that he that he insists that people get involved in the community and and you know the Celtics with Wick and Steve. I mean, it's just like spectacular what they do with the Celtics Foundation, all the different charitable works that they're involved with and the community aspects and, and, and to make us so proud because when you look at this new team that we have right now, there's a lot of players on that team. It, it's deep and it, they just keep coming right now with the win streak that they're on right now and playing so well and be able to overcome the COVID adversities. And no team has been more impacted this year uh, than the Celtics by COVID. And then have having Kemba being out of the lineup at the beginning, that doesn't help. But, you know, health is everything. And, uh, and, and I, am, uh, I am the most injured player ever. I was in the NBA for 14 years. I missed nine and a half full seasons. And so I know the fragility of it. I know how tenuous it is. And so and when, when you have something, and basketball was the easiest part of my life. And when you have something and you love it, and, and you want to keep it, and you can't, that, that changes you as a person. And, and that's, uh, you know, you get, you get greater appreciation for life, get greater appreciation for struggles. Because, you know, I, I had the greatest childhood in the world. I mean, we didn't have anything in terms of material possessions, but I had everything. Uh, you know, living here in San Diego, you know, I thought Los Angeles was freezing cold. And then I I had never lived in a cold weather climate. And then I went to Portland, man. I thought the sun had burned out. And the, <laughs> the world was coming to an end. And then when I was going to Boston, everybody said, Bill, you, you know, you, the weather there, you know, it's a lot different than San Diego. And it was. But being on the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird was like being on a tropical island. Larry... Larry packs a lot of heat in every aspect of his life. Even as great as Larry is, he was not able to do it by himself. You know, I, I learned, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be great. And I learned immediately that I couldn't do it alone. I needed teammates, I needed players, and I needed a coach. And so I spent my whole life just chasing that dream. And that's another of the endless lists why I love the Celtics, because the Celtics have always epitomized the team game. And that's why I love Danny Ainge. Uh, because although when we played with him, we never really thought of him, you know, because he, he was the young guy and he was the wild one. And he had the, always had the freshest legs and the freshest personality. And so, uh, and, and so we would always tease him about that, but he's just a, a remarkable athlete, spectacular human being and a brilliant leader. And I, I'm staggered and stunned and disappointed, frustrated, and on, on the verge of anger that Danny Ainge is not in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And it's very sad. I'll be, I'll be coming to Boston uh, uh, in the middle of May of this year as they uh, start up the Basketball Hall of Fame ceremonies again. And it's just going to be wonderful uh, to see all the guys again. And on the Celtics team that I played on, there was, you know, Red was in the Hall of Fame. Casey Jones was in the Hall of Fame. Larry, Kevin, Chief, DJ, they waited till he died, which was just tragic. There was a period of time when Dennis Johnson was the best guard in the world. And he, and he played like it. As everybody, your career changes. Things happen and you can't do what you used to do. And then he got on the Celtics and got to play with Larry, Kevin, Chief, and Danny. And wow, what a team. Spectacular. And speaking of that team, I mean, we had Scotty Wedman. Scotty Wedman 
uh, who there were times when Scott Redman was the second greatest player on the planet, not on the team, on the planet. And he couldn't even get in the game because <laughs> when Casey Jones would try to substitute for Larry, Larry wouldn't come out. Scott would come running up and he'd say, yeah, I'm going to have my turn. And he's just on fire, right? And Larry said, I'm not coming out. You, you know, you just ask which, ask which one of these other guys want to come out because I'm not coming out. And then, and then Scott would look back at Casey and say, just, okay, Kevin, you come out. Uh, D- DJ, you come out. And, uh, and we worked it out. What's your greatest Larry Bird memory or story? And they're endless. I'm not into ranking, rating, and comparing things. I'm just into enjoying them. But as great a player as Larry was, he, he was an even better human being. He was the guy who inspired the crowds. I've never seen, in, in all my years, I've never seen a player get the crowd going the way that Larry did. The home crowd in, in the garden, the road crowd too, because they used to come out, they used to come out and and cheer when he would miss in warmups, when he was trying to, you know, loosen up. He'd throw up some shots and he'd miss, and the crowd would just cheer and yell from the road team They games. thought they might get a win. That didn't happen. Uh, no, they didn't happen. So with this game, Portland and, and the Blazers last night, I mean, the Blazers in Boston, excuse me, last night, I was reminded of the time that we were coming to an end of a road trip. And the last game was going to be, I believe, in Portland. And Larry was, uh, was well known for predicting what he was going to do on the road trips. Because we'd have these, you know, seven, eight, nine game road trips. Larry said, we're going to win them all and I'm going to average a triple-double. And the reporters would <laughs> say, yeah, right. And then he would go out and do it, right. And so he comes to, we have the game in Seattle the night before and the reporters come to him and it's all the same guys. Because in those days, the reporters were part of the team. And it was fantastic. They traveled with us, stayed in the same hotels, we ate our meals together. It was just fantastic. They asked Larry, well, so Larry, you come to the end of the road trip, what do you got in store? You've achieved all your milestones. He said, I'm gonna play this game left-handed. And they said, yeah, right. So no, I'm gonna play left-handed. And if the game's in doubt in the fourth quarter, I'll switch back to right-handed. But he played the entire game left-handed and he had a triple-double. Kirk, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> how insane is that, hearing that story? Well, I mean, I can't use my left hand right now. I couldn't use it in my <laughs> just to think that he did that and had a triple double. That's crazy. Everything he did was like that, Big Bird. You know, it was it was like you know the, the things he would say. He he was the greatest trash talker of all time. John Wooden was number two, and his relationship with Red and his relationship with Dinah, his relationship with all the players, and you know the time I knocked Dinah Bird out. Uh, playing at Hellenic College, and they had to call nine one one. If they even had nine one one in those days, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, you know when Larry came out here to San Diego after the championship, because uh, and we just had the time of our lives, and he was just so kind, and we did everything. Larry used to travel with a guy uh, who was an Indiana State trooper, and they just kind of the state of Indiana just assigned Doctor Root. I don't know what his name was, but his nick- nickname was Doctor Root, and we never fe- found out that the root of that name, but uh, <laughs> they came out here and oh my gosh, Ray Melchiori, the trainer, and Larry's assumption of responsibility, just, you know, absolutely incredible. And uh, there was no one ever like him. And it was just so much fun and such a privilege, but that don't let me diminish the, the contributions and uh, effectiveness and, uh, and spectacular nature of the games of Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish mm-hmm. and Dennis Johnson. And 
you know, the, and then the second string that has Scott Wedman, we mentioned him, and uh, Rick Carlisle, who's probably been the most successful of all the uh, of all the guys on that team in their in their post basketball career. Uh, you know, Danny's been very successful, but Danny stayed with the Celtics. You know, Rick is the Rick is the most unlikely of all the success stories, and what he has been able to do with, with Dallas and head of the coaches association is absolutely spectacular and remarkable. Empty the thesaurus. And then Jerry Seesting, you know, this magnificent player who went to the same high school that John Wooden went to. And not in the same year, but they were uh, friends, and they were uh, and, and Greg Kite and David Thirdkill and, and Sam Vincent. And so it was, uh, it was just a great, great team. And, and we had the perfect coach, a coach that we loved and we would do anything for, and who made it super fun. You know, all the great coaches, they make it fun. You can't you can't wait to get there. You know, it, it, it's a privilege to be a part of something so special and to be there and do what you do and have so much joy and, and, and happiness. And I remember the, when you asked about Larry, because we played, there was no film, no film at all. And there was a minimal amount of scouting. And, and so if, like, when I played for John Wooden, John Wooden in four years mentioned the other team twice. We lost <laughs> those games. Thanks a lot, Coach. And the, on this, you know, Jack Ramsey's shoot around lasted twelve minutes. Twelve minutes, and it was so incredibly organized. Uh, and, and then uh, Casey Jones' shoot around lasted eight minutes. And the second that Casey started talking about the other team's plays, Larry would just say, "Okay, that's for you guys. I'm going to go to the other end and work on the, on my game." <laughs> and Casey would say, "Okay, that's it. Practice is over." Bill, there's a legendary story. The, the story of the Grateful Dead concert has become legend of its own, uh, part of the 85-86 really? team. I've been to a thousand of them. Thinking about it now, with a, you know, the way we look back at history now, we realize you're new coming to that team. You're a veteran, you're an all-star, you're a champion, but that group had been together. And looking back at it now, we're doing part of our series is about Umbutu and the 2008 team and how they all came together. I realize now looking back, that must have really been something for that group to kind of do your thing. It was a way for them to sort of welcome you into this elite group. I can't speak to that. I, I can only speak for myself. Yeah, and tell me about it. I don't speak for other people. And, but uh, I was going, and they found out that I was going, and they said, can we come too? <laughs> and I said, I think we can do something about that. You know, I've been going since I was 15 years old, and I, and I can't wait to, I can't wait to go again. Larry and Kevin asked. You know, I was standing there. I mean, you don't want to hear the story again, do you? <laughs> it's, it's not about the story. It's more about joining a, a group that had been together for a while. Because Perk, you had veterans join that new Big Three team throughout the course. You know, PJ Brown and Stephon Marbury and guys who had their own established careers and. You made them feel part of the group. And that always struck me as an important part of sort of team building, team bonding. And it happened so early in that 85, 86 season. Well, I, I begged and pleaded and ultimately bought my way onto the team. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, once I had made the decision, uh, this is where it comes back to stubbornness and pride. Once I had made the decision, I, I was on my way. Now, it took Red a long time closed the deal. But that was not Red's fault. Red was ready, but Donald Sterling, that's a, a, a different uh, breed of 
human being that uh, I would rather not be associated with. The way it evolved was when I was when I got there and ML picked me up. I said, "Look, let's just go straight over to Chief's house because I got to talk to the chief, and I got to just let him know that I'm here to help you. you know, I'm not. I'm not here for anything else. I mean, you know, my job is to is is to back you up. And my my job is to, is to lift the pain and ease the burden. And when Chief went into the Basketball Hall of Fame, and Nothing was more shocking than when he asked me to be his presenter. And because I sat, used to sit right next to Chief in the locker room every day. And it was so much fun because this was the coolest dude ever. I mean, I see Big Perk there with that smile on his face <laughs> and that gleam in his eye. And that was Chief. And just, just absolutely, you know, Chief was the foundational pillar of the team. It wouldn't have worked without him because you had Larry and Kevin doing their things on either wing and it was and they were you know to win in the NBA you have to have the best players and you know your best players have to outplay their best players it's it's very simple you know when Larry and Kevin are, are going to outplay Kareem and Magic uh, or Dr. J and Moses and Charles you know we're going to win and and they did that all the time and their consistency, their durability was just spe- was was spectacular. Larry epitomized the the notion of players make plays, plays don't make players. It's really interesting to hear, and really, Bill, listening to you talk about not only Larry but the '86 team, Perk. When you're listening to this, doesn't it sound a lot like how you would describe your experience on that '08 team? Yeah, I mean the chemistry, different personalities. Um, but but the most important thing that I got from it is that from what, what, what Bill was saying, what the legend himself was saying, is that guys were stars in their role and guys were okay with who they were. And I think that's what makes a championship team, right? Guys accepting their roles and being okay with who they are, blocking out the outside noise. Because at the end of the day, what what you're trying to accomplish is bigger than one individual. Right. So that's why a lot of championships didn't work out because you saw guys egos get in the way. So I do see a similarity to the most because we had a lot of different personalities. We had a lot of fun. We had them Bluetooth. We had the camaraderie. You know, we didn't have chief, but we had KG. We, you know, and I mean, you know, and we, we, we hung out, man. We had fun. That was, I include my high school career. That was the that was the fun that was the most fun I ever had in a basketball season, on and off the court. Like we did everything together. Off the court, we was 12, 13 deep wherever we went, and the chemistry was just great. So I mean, yeah, I do. I, I'm hearing these similarities, and I'm just blown away. But it don't surprise me because if you go back and watch that team play, they played like that. We were super lucky in that we lived by the mantra, happiness begins when selfishness ends. And so here was this culture that Red had created that Casey was driving on a constant basis to be joyous when somebody else is doing great. Larry would be going crazy. And Kevin, who we haven't spoken much about Kevin, because you could have this whole conversation be about Kevin as well, because you know Kevin was the second greatest low post player I ever played against. And, and, and and the only reason he wasn't better than Kareem was because he wasn't as big as Kareem. Kareem had probably five inches on Kevin, but 
nobody could guard Kevin, and 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 Kevin knew it. And Kevin was not afraid to say that to the other guys. And you know, he was an incredible trash talker as well. And but we were as soon as somebody got hot on the team, they got every ball. And, and there was no challenges or problems with, with feeding the hot hand there. And it's super refreshing to hear both of you who have the experience of getting to the mountaintop. Um, Bill, you twice in the NBA, twice in college. Perk, you once in the NBA. I mean, you guys know what it takes and um, being able to explain what that experience is like and, and what it really takes to sacrifice and unselfishness from everyone on the team it's just so refreshing to listen to nobody makes it to the top alone it takes all you've got just to stay on the beat and the dream as the broadcaster big perk has these uh, opportunities himself i got to be the broadcaster for michael jordan i would ask him you know how much time do you spend on those spectacular plays that nobody has seen before and nobody can describe and those moves today have become incorporated into all the other players and that that's the way evolution works and the way that we grew up watching wilt and bill russell and elgin and jerry and willis reed and gus johnson and earl monroe and havlicek and, and endless players who we idolized growing up and tried to play like them and that just keeps going throughout the generations to where we are today but when i asked michael how much time do you spend on those spectacular plays he, he looked at me with bewildered, and he said, Bill, I don't spend a second on any of those. I spend all my time on my fundamentals, on my foundation, on my physical fitness, on my footwork. And, but what I really spend my time on is the dream, the dream of how we're going to get this done. You know, I look around at who my teammates are, and I look around and see who they have, and then I, I just try to figure out how we're going to win. And, you know, that's what Steve Nash did. That's what Bill Russell did. The best part of life, the mental acuity that leads to the decision-making process that allows you to choose the right path as you stand in the fork of the road in conjunction with the emotional commitment that it takes and, and how hard you have to work and how much it's going to take of every, everything you have. And then as soon as it's over, and, and, and that's why people like, David Stern and Red Auerbach and John Wooden, now Danny Ainge in that position, all these people in a position of leadership, they can never be happy because there's always another game. And when you're young, you don't look at it like that. But as you get older, you know, you, you just try to, to keep it going. You know, when you're young, you, you tend to live, yeah, right now. Let's do it. And, and I'm a big believer in living in the moment and getting the job done, making each day your masterpiece. But there is the big picture. And as you get older and you face ever increasing challenges and how much more it's going to take in your life to, to keep it going and to, and to sustain the whole thing. And it, it is, it's never easy. There is, you know, it's every day in the NBA is a great day. Some days are better than others. It's never an easy day. That's, that's great perspective, Bill. And I feel like I could listen to you talk and give us perspective on life for hours and hours. It's, it's been an unbelievable conversation. And, and just to hear how um, two people from two totally different backgrounds, but who accomplished similar things in you and Perk to, to talk about how, you know, everything intersects um, with being able to get to the top. Mark, when you're part of something special, it changes you. It, it, it ultimately, it defines who you are. 
Mm. And you spend the rest of your life trying to chase that down and get back to it because it's incredibly hard to hold on to it. Uh, I had uh, similar experiences at UCLA and in Portland, Celtics, and with, with the Grateful Dead. And so to, to, to see that uh, experience, and, and you know, I've lived that. You know, I've, I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. And uh, I know that you know, all the guys who played for John Wooden had exactly the same experience that I had. And he was coached there for 27 years. Even the guys that didn't win the championships, their experiences were the same. The guys who played on the Celtics when Red Auerbach was, was running the show, and the, guys, and, and, and the guys who played forever on the Celtics, because Wick and Steve have been able to create that culture, and Danny's been able to maintain that culture. And it, it, it's interchangeable. And with the Blazers, and you know, with the guys who, you know, the, the different eras of greatness of the Blazers, uh, and, and you have this, this bond, you know, the fans, the players, the management, the history, the business partners, it, it, it is spectacular. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're willing to go out and risk everything because we know how valuable, how important and how critical it is to our own level of confidence and self-esteem and, 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 and the realization that being part of the team is really what it's all about. And the strength of the team is the strength of the individual. And that's why I'm proud to be on this show and to stand on the broad shoulders of Big Perk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yet another great appearance from Bill Walton. Bill, thank you so much. You're the greatest storyteller of all time. And uh, we hope to continue to hear you telling these stories for years to come. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I'm the luckiest guy on earth. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.